Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. Curtis McHale took his training as a counselor and applied it to his work in web development, writing books and articles and hosting a podcast to help small businesses define their processes. He also coaches freelancers about how to optimize their work around the life they want to lead. Along the way, he's learned how to delegate the tasks he doesn't enjoy while holding on to the ones he finds energizing. In this episode, Curtis will explain how he trains his clients not to send him emails. He'll share the process he follows to separate his work time from his personal time, and he'll tell us how he turned his passion for Lego into a branding tool for his business. So today I'm talking with Curtis McHale. How are you doing today? I am doing great. One of the things that I love about the way that you work is the way that you share all of the steps of your process as you go along. What got you started down that path? I think at the beginning when I started, I happened across some really good podcasts at that time. Boag World sticks out as I started web at least. And I learned that I shouldn't be using tables and I should be using CSS. So I, although I am technically old enough and in the industry early enough, I should have learned. I happened along the cutting edge people who were sharing all the time. And so I never had to do that. I remember doing my first HTML table stuff and I was like, this is retarded. Why would we ever do this? Because <laughs> I had already spent, you know, enough time not doing it. So I just think that also sharing, like there's so much out there and there's so much good you can do. I know even when I'm like technically competing for web projects against friends or competitors, like I've shown them my proposal, said, this is what I'm putting out. This is, I think you've missed this part over here. Here's the conversation I had with the client as well, where you missed these three questions. I think this will give you a better proposal. And then I've critiqued their proposals to send to the clients so that they can send a better proposal because there's plenty of work out there. That's true. So you kind of got into the sharing information about your work by sharing individually with colleagues and with people who are working in your industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like I have to write, even as I've been off over the holidays, we, my wife and I blocked it a couple times where I could just like head out to the coffee shop at 6am and I'd write for two hours and then come home and I'd feel like this week got lifted off me. So have you been working independently pretty much all along or were you working for companies and then did you go independent? I actually have a counseling degree and I went from that into web development because I didn't want to work with whiny people is how I defined it at the time. Yeah, even though we at some point we all probably all would benefit from counseling or a psychologist, whatever you want to term it. And I went to work at a paddling shop as a sales associate because I do tons of outdoor stuff, but also working on their website. I jumped to another internal company, a small nonprofit, and then... I went out on my own. So I spent about a year specifically after college working for people. And then I have been running a business of my own in some fashion since the time I was like 18. Whatever I was doing as my full-time job, I was doing on the side. So I just finally found the one place that I wanted to be uh, that I enjoyed. And I love the freedom I get. That's cool. So it's, so this uh, independent work is really in your nature. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I was always saying I was, when I was working construction stuff, I'd be doing it on the side on the weekends on my own for myself. Well, I imagine that actually having a background in counseling is probably very useful when it comes to dealing with clients as well. Absolutely. You do remember stuff like there is always three things said, what I thought I said, what I actually said, and what you heard. 
right? So remembering that there's always those miscommunications and then email makes it all worse, right? Cause you miss any nuance or anything like that. Just like you said, as we do video for those that are listening so that we can communicate better together, right? That face-to-face interaction that we get helps the, helps build trust number one and helps build the nuance that you don't get, which is also actually why I always do client calls every Tuesday with my clients, the client I'm working with at that time, I always call them and we have a video call because that brings that nuance back and helps us smooth out any problems, which is part of my process. Yeah, I find video adds, adds to the sense of intimacy with these conversations. And my listeners may not be aware, but I do do all of my interviews by video. I only publish the audio part, but I think it helps with communication. Yeah, it helps you even like focus, right? No, absolutely. And, and being able to get the expressions from people's faces, it brings out more depth to the communication. You do client consulting then by video as well. I think, isn't that somewhat unusual? I guess so, but I don't want to be normal. I want to be unusual. Like, so when I'm working on a web project every Tuesday, we have a call with my main client, maybe a project that I'm wrapping up. We're just doing a little bit of cleanup and I may not call that client, but I'm usually working on one client as my main project. I'm not really doing other work for other clients. And we call every Tuesday and we have a talk about the project and that helps. I just did a client exit interview with the client and she kept going on about how I'd have a problem on whatever Thursday. And I'd know that on Tuesday it'd be resolved. No matter how stressed I felt about it, when I talked to you on Tuesday, we talked for a couple minutes and it would be resolved. And so I didn't have to worry about it, which was great. I like that. When you, when you present somebody with a process like that and a schedule, they, they know what to expect. And that does help with client relations, I think. Mm-hmm, absolutely. How did you come to that? Because that's not something that everybody who's freelancing realizes early on. I don't know. I found that every time I'd have a problem with a client, we try to work it out over 10 emails. This is something pretty often. When you have any type of miscommunication over email, you keep sending emails to try and clear it up when 90% of the time a two-minute phone call would clear it up. So even picking up the phone occasionally and saying, hey, I don't think we're understanding each other. or I think we're saying the same thing and you explain it and you say, yes, we both agree. And it would have taken 20 emails and in theory, air quotes, saved time, but it wouldn't have. It just would have... Yeah, it would, it's faster often to pick up the phone. And we, as digital people, we often, we too, far too often default to a digital solution when, say, face-to-face or a video call, something like that would be better than you know, going back and forth via email. Yeah, I think email has spoiled us with asynchronous communication, but synchronous communication has real added value. Absolutely, especially, say, used well with a client, say with my client weekly, it's used well to resolve a problem and we're, we're just ready to go. We can reset any expectations. So if they, if I'm prioritized on task A and they say, actually task C is way more important. I can say, oh, okay. And we prioritize that instead, as opposed to some, I don't know, them, them feeling they said it in the text and me not reading it in the text. Cause I don't know them. And I don't know the nuance to it and letting me reprioritize what they feel is most important for the project. Now, does this the same with your development clients as it is for your consulting clients? Yeah. So my consulting coaching clients, we have a call, depends on, I guess what we're doing, but for coaching, if you're in the mentoring groups, then we have a call every Friday. And that's again, a video call where we can laugh where occasionally someone's kid will run in or something like that. And we can laugh and meet the kid or, you know, when I knew one of them just has a new baby coming up. So I'm sure we'll get to meet Thomas this week, which will be great or anything else. Right. Sometimes you know, I'm in my office right now, but occasionally I need to be at home. And I have recorded my coaching calls with like my three-year-old coming up and I'm peeling a banana for her as we're talking. That's real life. It also humanizes, just builds a better friendship, right? Because you talk to your friends with your kids around and you you peeling the banana or saying, get off that, whatever the thing, their ridiculous thing they're doing at the moment too. That's very cool that you do the coaching as as a group thing. I suppose you also do one-on-one, right? Yeah, I do. I do one-on-one as well. Uh, And like I said, sometimes that'll be at home. Sometimes that 
More often that ends up being just voice only because most of my clients end up doing it, say in the car as they're doing something or as they're a commute. I have that a little more often, but I try to do video. Video is always my default. Even when I'm doing a new client introduction, video is my default. If I can't get video, audio. And I don't take new projects unless I can talk to you. New clients, at least. I don't take new clients unless we talk. I noticed when I was going through your materials, you have a pretty rigorous selection process for even selecting new clients. Absolutely. And having that rigorous selection process lets me tell you that I can't remember the last time I lost an estimate. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about that selection process you go through. So the first step is nine questions and around mainly like, what's your project? Why is it important? Why is it more important than something else? What are those other something else's? Who's in charge of the project? Who's going to make this decision? What's your time frame and what's your budget? Those are the general questions. And that changes slightly, but I use the same thing when I'm uh, onboarding a new cl- a coaching client. It's a very similar set of questions. I want to know why this is important to you and what the value is so that I can match it as well. After that, for development clients, I if they answer those questions appropriately, then we will move on and I'll say, hey, let's book a call. And if I book a call and I find out I'm saying I'm working with an employee and not the actual CEO who really owns the idea, I require I get on the phone with the CEO. If they don't do that, then it's clearly not an important enough project for them. And I say no. Now, maybe only talk to the CEO once and the other person drives the project the whole time. Totally fine. But I want to talk to the CEO because I often find that what the employee knows and what the CEO knows to diametrically oppose things, right? I've talked to an employee who's like, oh, yeah, our budget's like, you know, 15 grand. And I talked to the CEO and he's like, oh, no, we got like 800 bucks to do this. That's it. Because if we do any more than 800 bucks, it's not a return on investment. And you find out wild things like that sometimes. And you go back to the employee and they're like, oh, I didn't know that. And so they need to go back to the CEO and say, that's not that we can't do it for 800 bucks. We need, here's why we need more money for this. And they'll explain it and then they'll work out the value. And, and then we can really come at it again. And maybe I only talk to the CEO once and we have to reframe it a couple times. And I talk to the employee the rest of the time, but I have to talk to the business, to the person who owns the idea, right? On a large enough company, maybe it's a department head or a marketing person or something who owns the idea for real, but I always have to talk to them as well. I wonder about that because it sounds like for people who might be starting off in freelancing, they might think about that and say, you're going to lose a lot of potential clients that way. No, you're not. You're going to lose a lot of potential pain in the buttness that way, right? (laughs) If I send out an estimate with the example I gave, $15,000 for some project, and the person says, yeah, that's great. And I send out an estimate and the CEO looks at it to approve it and goes, no way. And they're never going to talk to me again. They're going to see my name come by and they'll be like, that's the guy who sends outrageous invoices or estimates. I don't want to deal with that. Once we recap and reevaluate and we make sure everyone's on the same page, and then I send out, you know, a higher invoice or a higher estimate than they expect. Well, they, that's not true. They do expect it now because we've had multiple conversations about what the value is and how it will work for them and what the cost is. And then I'm not that crazy guy who sends out ridiculous in, or estimates. That makes a lot of sense. The thing that also occurs to me is these people have to have a reason for wanting to go through the process of answering all of those questions when, I mean, what is it that attracts people to the business that you're doing? I think, especially when they get the questions, I'll get, you get a few responses. I get a few people who dig in immediately and they answer them and that, that's it. And we, we're off to the races and we move through the process. I get some people who get the questions and say, whoa, you are clearly different than I expected. I kind of figured I was going to be paying these types of prices and I'm pretty sure you're more expensive. So I'm not ready for that yet. You know, here's what I want to do. Do you have any suggestions of someone I could work with? And maybe I'll suggest something or a free tool or something. And then you have the, uh, I don't know, they're not crazy, but they're just like, I'm never doing this. I can't believe you'd ever ask someone these types of questions. You're a horrible person. And I I have a t- an email template for that, which lets me write the four-letter words I want to say. And it comes out with, you know, good luck with your project. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> and once I've used that, that's the only thing I reply to them. No matter what they say, have a wonderful day. 
I think it's a great idea to have an email template for the you're a horrible person email. It is. Yes. As I said, it lets me write the four letter words I want to say, and it only spits out the nice words I should be saying. I'm, I'm assuming that doesn't happen too often. I mean, I'm guessing you've gotten yourself to the point where you've, you've narrowed down the types of people who even approach you for business at this point. Yeah, I'd say the... I mean, very few people really go, hey, you're horrible. Some people say, these are questions are crazy. I'm not going to answer them. I say, hey, I can't move forward in the process unless I have these answers here. Some clients will say, or some prospects will say, okay, you know, and that's good reasons. I'll an and then they answer them. But it's definitely more on the, I never hear from them again because they weren't going to dig into it, which just told me they weren't a good client. That's fine. And, or the ones that really dive in, right? I've had a few that said, oh, I come from a business development background. These are amazing questions. We really need to work with you. Just off my initial questions. Yeah, I can I could see that. I'm curious how you market yourself to these people so that they even find you in the first place. So having done this for the better part of 10 years, and specifically in the e-commerce and membership site space for development, at least, I know a lot of the begin the owners of all the tools. And so I recommend a recommended developer from them in their support queue and everything else, their support people. I know many of them as well. And at one point, which you won't find anymore, I wrote and wrote and wrote a technical blog at the same time. And it was a lot of code, all nerdy stuff. There was Everything had code and video because people learn different ways, right? So I do a screencast of it and I'd write a full written, here's how you do it with the code snippets right in it. And I produced that podcast for years. I'm not going to tell you the URL because the site is totally spammy from what I understand now because I let that go a couple years ago now. For the coaching side, it's, as you said, I blog, I do podcasts, I'm getting on more podcasts. This year, I'm really getting to speak, at least locally. So I'm about 60 miles or 100 kilometers east of Vancouver, British Columbia. And I'm going to go speak, say, into Vancouver and all the, you know, the cities that are between my little farm town and the big city and go speak more because the fastest way to grow any business is to press the flesh, really, because that's the highest trust velocity. Second highest is like a video call like we're doing or a podcast like you guys are listening to, because then at least in a podcast, you get to hear the mannerisms in a video call. You get to see them as well. So the closer you can get to being physically with someone is the highest trust velocity. I like that. You live far away from the city, but you are making the effort to put yourself out there and be physically face to face with the people in your industry. Yeah. And honestly, I hate it. I find it so tiring. I am absolutely a guy like I want to go home and hang out with my kids. And even though I know there's potty training going on today, and that means I'm gonna have to clean up more mess just like I did last night, I'd rather go home and hang out with the kids. When I go speak places and stay overnight, it's like one night I'm away and I'm like, I wish I'd rather have the kids getting me up at 4am and hanging out with them. So it certainly feels difficult, but it has helped me grow my business. I know a number of my coaching clients have said, oh, I first heard about you when you spoke at this conference. And they are some of like, they're the ones who always click on my emails. They're the ones who always buy the products. They're the ones who were the first ones in the door at coaching. They're telling people about it. They're sharing my stuff. They wouldn't have known about me unless I went and spoke. Now, it sounds to me like you're kind of resurrecting your, your counseling background with your coaching and speaking work. Absolutely, I am. It's funny that it took me you know, the better part of 10 years to come back around to it. And it mainly, as looking back at it now, the reason I didn't do counseling is because I was really tired of people not doing the work. And with business owners coaching them to run a better business, they do the work. And that is exciting. And if they don't, there's a reason we work through it and we reframe it and we go back at it and do the work. Now, how did you learn the things that you know about business to, to be able to coach people about it? Part of it is running a business, say for 10 years, this one, but previously lots of other ones that didn't work. Part of it is actually working at different businesses and finding out all the things I never wanted to do. That's a good, I recommend that for people coming out of college and they say, I'm going to start my own business. No, go work for people. 
even if it's bad, because you're going to find it like, right? I will never do this in my business, right? If I set a process, I will always follow it. I will not jump the process every time because I am the owner, because then no one else is going to do it anyways. And then I read 60 plus books a year, but 45 of them are business. Wow. How do you schedule yourself? I'm curious, what what is your process? What does your week look like? So typically the only day I do calls is Tuesdays. I got up at 4.45 this morning. I worked out from 5.45 till uh, about 7, was in the office, and I've been on podcasts or on introduction coaching calls or had someone on my podcast. And then in between that, I had a gap today because one call missed. And in between that, I wrote emails. That was my secondary task on my list was calls all day. If I have a space, write emails for the next uh, month. That is my Tuesdays. I, I typically only do the mon- or calls on Tuesdays. Mondays, I write and read, which is, again, most, most of my days start off with an hour of reading and an hour of writing, and that's it. And even if I have client work, I don't do it until I've done an hour of reading and an hour of writing. And then I will focus on my one client for the day. Sometime near the end of the day, I'll check my email and give it 25 minutes. That's it. If it takes longer than 25 minutes, then I just don't worry about it. And I come back to it the next day. I just keep tacking away at it. And 99% of the time, it's fine. One of the reasons I can do that is because none of my clients send me an email. And if they do, they tell me in the project manager system that there's an email that they had to send that way and I need to go check it. And if they don't, that's their fault because part of the onboarding process is that they say, I did read this project success page. They check it off and they say, I read it. And if you checked it off, it means you read the thing that says, don't send me an email because I'm not checking it. So days I'm super busy, I won't check my email sometimes for two or three days occasionally. Wow. You've you've actually got your clients trained to know not to send you emails. That is very impressive. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, if I've had a client that's eh, kind of on the edge of pushing some of those boundaries, I'll ignore an email. I'll see it in there. I'll I'll ignore it and keep doing work. And they'll say, hey, did you see the email? I'll say, no, you're supposed to let me know in the project manager system. I very rarely get that now because I'm very obvious about it when we do our introduction calls. Are you going to send me an email? And they say, no. I say, good. If you send me an email, what are you going to do? Well, if it's an email that also like I had to send a support ticket that's copied to you, I will update that in the project manager system for you so you know it's there. Very impressive. So you were telling me about your week in general. You, you've told me the Tuesdays you do conferences and calls. Yep. Monday, you know, you're, the rest of the week you've got scheduled out for other things. Mondays, I spent most of the last quarter, so last quarter of 2016, writing all Monday, working on the book that I wrote. And then Wednesday and Thursday were for clients, for like development clients. And then Friday is all coaching. Most days I do get up at 4.45 still. And that lets me cut out most days by one. Uh, today is my long day. It's... Uh, 2.30 here, and so I've been up since 4.45 in the office talking. But that's my one long day, and like Monday, I didn't even start till 8, and I took an hour lunch hanging out with the kids, and I walked over to the coffee shop and spent two hours working, and then was home by 5. Let my wife sleep in. Also nice. And then, so Fridays is all coaching, and in between that, beginning on Fridays, I will put up any blog posts that I have ready. I'll do that Fridays before my first coaching call. Once those are up, I just start working on them. When I'm writing, I typically, my process for writing is I typically edit one, outline one, and write one. And that way you separate the writing and the editing because you write one day and I'll edit it sometime in the future. And you have a regular publication schedule as well, I guess. I publish every Tuesday, Thursday for my site and those get copied over to Medium. And I publish every Friday. I do a podcast. I'm on come up to episode 100 by the end of the month here on that. That's excellent. And did you do this work completely alone or do you have anybody helping you? I have an editor. She edits the posts, but I put them all in. 
I have a bookkeeper who does some admin stuff as well. So like I just photograph my receipts and she deals with them because I'm terrible at the budget side of this. <laughs> my wife is really good at it. My bookkeeper enters it all in. I'd like leave it all till the last minute and then spend all of like January trying to do my receipts. And that's it. Really, I edit the podcast. Or in fact, let me correct that. I don't edit the podcast. I just keep a gap at the beginning and end. And whatever happens in the middle, I just chop the beginning and end off and put it out. Which I've had some comments for. And I always say, well, would you like me to spend an hour doing that? Or would you like me to write more stuff? And most people say, well, I'd like you to write more stuff. Good. That's what I will do then. I like that you have an answer for that. Because that's certainly a question that's going to come up. It is. And I've had that. I've had people say, hey, you know, you have this blog post from like three years ago and the images aren't working. And I say, well, I can try and dig around with those images. I'm sure I have them. Or I can write a blog post. What do you think is a better use of my time? Another blog post is probably a better use of your time. At some point, will this change? Oh, probably. If I could have someone to put it, you know, if I actually have, I have a video intro for my podcast that I need to get done. I've got all the files for it. And I know what I want. I just need to send it off somewhere to get it done. I was planning myself to do it. And then I canceled my Adobe Cloud subscription because I shouldn't spend three hours trying to figure out how to use After Effects. I'll send that off at some point. And then I'll, then when I can just drop it in front of the podcast, I'll use it. Other than that, forget it. Yeah. For some folks, it's the sort of thing that they enjoy. For other folks, it's the sort of things that it's better to delegate. Yeah. And if you enjoy it, great. If you don't, like, I don't not enjoy it. I just don't care. So it's not something I should do. I'm not doing it for personal pleasure at that point. So you were telling me about this uh, client checklist that you have clients go through the, the process that, they, that you require them to follow. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because that sounds interesting. It's not too big. It's on my site, sfndesign.ca, project success, project dash success. And it says running an effective project. There's a few keys. We want to run a project that has the highest likelihood of success. The first point is don't you or use the PM system. I don't want emails. This is the quick summary of that. It also says in there, I don't want nine questions about five different things on a single task. If you say, I'd like the color of this text to be blue instead of black, and I'd like it bigger, that's two tasks. Don't email me. Is it the other one in there, right? That's the other big point. I don't want emails. It's not going to happen. I, or it's not going to be my priority. If I'm busy, I'm going to look at the PM system. So you may not hear anything via email. Book your weekly phone calls is the other thing. If the project is spending multiple weeks, we'll do our weekly phone calls. I send you an email that gives you a link every week. At the end of our first, at the end of our call, I say, book your call again. Designate a single point of contact is the other thing. So if I'm dealing with a team, I want one person that's in charge. I assign everything to Bob or to Jane, and Jane figures out who it's really for. And make sure that it gets updated on your side, because I can't chase you around. That's not my job. It sounds like this could be a useful template for people to, to follow when they're setting up relationships with their own clients. Yeah, it's just on my site. I don't have a link officially to it, but like I said, it's if you search sfndesign.ca, Project Success, you'll find the page. It's just a public page. I've linked to it multiple times from my own, from curtismichael.ca as well, uh, as I've talked about it. The other one is keep keep these people to a minimum, right? So that we don't, like I don't need 19 people on there weighing in on everything when you want like one or two and that's it, as few people as possible. Uh, if you need 19 people to see these things, then you go talk to the 19 people, come back to me with a decision. And then I have an example of here's how we submit a bug report. The ability to write a good bug report, something that a lot of people who have never worked in tech don't understand. Yeah, it's hard. And they just don't even know that. They don't have a framework to evaluate how to do it, right? So when I say, what browser is it? They're like, I don't know, Firefox. Okay, which browser is it? Version number and on which operating system? And can you tell me like exactly what, what happened? Like how exactly did this work? Yeah, and be, be able to reproduce the problem. So you use a project management system. Which one are you, are you working with with most of your clients? All of my clients go through Redbooth. There have been rare exceptions where I choose, where I will accept using theirs, but it's rare. 
I have tried many other ones. The only other project management system I like is Trello. I use that for some, a lot of my internal stuff. So like my content calendar is in there. As I'm trying to find podcasts to get on, that whole workflow is in there. But Redbooth is only for clients. That's interesting. What, what, what advantages does Redbooth have over Trello? The big thing that Redbooth has that Trello doesn't, which drives me bonkers about Trello, is that Redbooth has a great view right on your dashboard where it says, here's every notification you have. And I can just click on it and deal with the card right away. Deal with the that task right away. Whereas Trello is like, you got your little, whatever, bell thing up in the top corner. It says, here's notification. Great. And you have to keep like cycling back to it all the time, right? So I have this, just a list of tasks down one pane. And then when I click on it, it shows me the card. Done. I don't have to click back and forth between projects or internet of boards or keep heading back up to that little red bell thing like Trello has. I can just have it all in one spot all the time. And they sit there and wait for me to deal with them. And so I live most of my project in that, right? I'm working on something. I update the, the, the task and then the client comes back to me and I just keep addressing it through there until we can resolve it. And so I'm curious what other tools you use that you found help it make your process more efficient. And those are the two big ones. I use Calendly to book all my calls, which is just a calendaring service. There's lots of, there's a number of them out there. I like Calendly because at least at the time it wasn't ugly. All the other ones looked ridiculously ugly. And I said, I don't want that for my business. I also use a paper planner. Actually, I used to use OmniFocus for my personal tasks. The problem with a lot of digital tools though, is it's easy to say, I'm going to do this in three weeks. And then three weeks comes and you have like 52 things you said you do on that day. And you should be reviewing every week anyways. That's something I do at the end of every week. I just go over the next week and plan it out. But having the paper planner lets me look at it, right? And I look at my paper planner. It's got the weeks on it. I put a post-it note with things that don't necessarily have a day yet. And so I even do that as I'm working forward. So there's post-it notes for like the next three weeks already to say follow up with whoever. And then I can, when I look at that week as I'm planning, I can pull them off that post-it note and slot them in. You're taking advantage of the limitations of paper because it forces you not to not to have too much. That's right. Or to really look at the gauge, how big a task is, right? For me to put a post up on the site really isn't that big a task. It doesn't take me that long. For me to outline a whole post may take a longer time. So I need to allow more time for that or to write a post or something like that. Well, I think probably the, the most complicated part of writing your posts would be creating the Lego characters, right? <laughs> I wish I had time to do all that. I mean, I've got, I'm pointing to you on the video. I've got Lego all around me and I buy minifigs all the time time as as well as my oldest daughter she loves lego as well she's a little more into princesses than i am but i don't have time so i end up finding them on Flickr. but that's some of my favorite thing i look at them sometimes like i wish i could go take that shot so it would be great yeah i don't know if all of our uh, listeners are aware but you you have lego pictures on absolutely everything that you do it seems i know it started i found like three in a row and someone said how you're doing all lego pictures and i said that's a great idea that's like a couple years ago now so occasionally if i link to a old post regularly i will find a new lego image for it if it doesn't have one that's about the only thing I do to like fix old content is needs a new Lego image. That's something I think everybody would agree would be a top priority. Absolutely. And it's <laughs> it's good branding as well, right? You see a Lego picture and most people be like, oh, that's I, that's one of Curtis's posts. It must be because it's Lego. It also has let me can be at a conference with someone. We had a good talk about Lego and then send them a personalized minifigure. And then they, you know, it was I was doing it because it was cool. We talked about Lego. Their kids love Lego. They have a whole Lego room. The whole family plays it. But they said, oh, this is like a great little gift that we could send. I sent them. It was not very expensive. And they keep sending me work because we met. And then I sent them some, you know, I guess it was 20 bucks, which is expensive for a Lego minifig, but not expensive for, you know, six figures of projects in the last two years. Well, one of the things I like about that is it incorporates something that you enjoy with something that also provides a little bit of distinct personal branding for you. Absolutely. Yeah. You're talking a lot about all of the things that you accomplish and how busy your schedule is. I'm curious how you fit in self-care in something like that. 
No, that's not true. Because it's just been the holidays. I have taken my laptop home. Before the holidays, um, I couldn't have told you the last time my laptop even went home. It'll go home today because I likely will be working out of the home office tomorrow and out to the coffee shop or something. But I don't even take it home. I don't have email on my phone. I don't have email on my iPad. I, I do very good at, I guess, just forgetting. And I make it very clear to my clients, if you need 24-hour support, you're talking to the wrong guy. I'm going to be up on a mountain on the weekend skiing. And there's no cell reception, literally none. I'm not even close to cell reception. I can get to Wi-Fi if I want to drive an hour, and that's it. That's the best I got. And it's terrible Wi-Fi. I got 10 minutes on it, and I'm kicked off. So I don't want to hear it. And I set them up with like a maintenance site service that will take on their little little fixes like that that I don't have to deal with. And then when they ask, well, how much would you charge to do it? It's always like a ridiculous number, like $20,000 a month, because I don't want to do it, and I'll hire someone. <laughs> um, that's why I tell them that straight up. I will hire someone or my friend runs a service. He can do it for $79 a month. It's good to have friends like that and to know how to refer out to that, that sort of a service. And again, that gets back to the importance of delegating. Yep. Yeah, it does. So self-care, like I also said, I worked out in the morning. I work out. I'm not riding right now because we got enough snow and I only have a road racing style bike. So it's not good in the snow. I would usually ride to work and I'll take the long way home. I'm generally home you know, well before dinner. Cause I start so early and then I don't work weekends. I don't weekends are for the family. Even if like my local CrossFit gym will say, Hey, we're doing a competition this weekend. You're going to come not hanging out with the family. I spent Sunday skiing with my daughter all day. Cause she just couldn't be pulled off the lifts, which was great. Cause it was only her first day skiing, but I just, I make priority for it. And even I'll talk to friends, friends in town who will say like, it's so hard to get a coffee with you, Curtis. And I say, yes, it is. Cause I want to be a good dad at the end of the end of life. I want to say, Hey, I was a good dad. And I put the effort into that. So I just keep saying no, or yes, I can have coffee at 7am on Saturday. We need to be done by eight so I can be home kind of, you know, for late breakfast with the family and friends say that's annoying. And at the same time, it's amazing because I can tell what you're prioritizing. That's good. You should. Yeah. I've talked to a lot of people who've prioritized their business over everything else and they put all of their effort and all of their energy into it. And they end up with multi-million dollar businesses. And some people prioritize their personal lives over their businesses and they end up with something that supports them and supports the lifestyle that they've chosen. Yeah, that's all I need. And I mean, really, if you end up with a multi-million dollar business and have, you know, destroyed the personal relationships, is it really successful? I would say no. I know some people would say yes, but I would say absolutely not. I don't, that wouldn't be successful to me at all. So I, even when I was 18, I wanted to be a good dad, not at that point in my life, but I wanted to be a good dad. And I enjoy hanging out with my kids. So I prioritize that and hanging out with my wife. My wife and I even prioritize a date night. Every Wednesday, we have a date. Nice. I, I think it's a harder message to sell when it comes to business coaching, that the idea of building something successful, but small, and that works for you. It doesn't even have to be small. It just has to suit your lifestyle, right? Actually, the first thing I do with everyone who does business coaching is we define your four quadrants. So you take a piece of paper, fold it top to bottom and side to side, unfold it. You got four rectangles. And tell me the four most important things in your life and what you want them to look like in five years. And then everything we look at in your business, when you say, you know, if you said, I want to have time freedom, I want to be able to hang out with my family and I want to go hiking, which is some of mine. That means I cannot build a business where I have to support people all the time and be around for that instantly. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I say I'm going to build a plugin and I'm going to let sell it all the time and let people buy it and have support. No, I can't do that. Not if I want to be compatible or I have to find it a way. Uh, which I have, I have a friend who is willing to, he would usually do a 70-30 split to me and he'll do a 70-30 split to him if he takes all the support and all the emergency fixes. And I just have to, do, and I just kind of work on it as I feel like it. So did you yourself get any coaching when you got started with this and do you continue? Uh, yep, I have coaching. I am in some mastermind groups. I'm in one mastermind group uh, of peers 
And then I schedule out at least one conference or two conferences a year that are solely for my own benefit. I'm going there just to become a better coach. I did the 48days.com coaching with excellence program this year. His name is Dan Miller. No, I'm not familiar with him. Could you tell me more about him? Dan Miller is awesome. The only caveat I give occasionally to people is that he is very faith-based. So if you're not into Christian faith stuff, you may want to skip mm -hmm. it. But he, I give away his book most of the time. Or anyone looking for a job, his book, 48 Days to the Work You Love, is by far, hands down, the best like career development book that you can get. And the faith stuff doesn't bother me because I'm a church-going dude, but it is for some people. So that's my only caveat with his stuff. If that's really going to put you off and in his podcast, he doesn't mention it much, but he does say, you know, talk occasionally about his going to church or, you know, what God's purpose is. And he means your why or like why you work, what your purpose in life is. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The ability to translate that language into something that makes sense for each of us is a very important part of that. Absolutely. And it comes even as you read, right? So knowing that, um, what and I'm just reading a book called mastery and what he talks about mastery is really your purpose or your why. Or Jeff Goins calls it your story. What's your story? Or what you meant to do? So it's all the same topic, basically. They're just approaching it from different angles with different words. And that's probably one of the keys. One of the keys to reading is knowing how to normalize language across multiple books that are essentially about the same subject. Right. And you mentioned you do a lot of reading. I'm curious how you choose that book list of yours. So I have a Trello board that has my next business book and my next fun book. Okay, fun in air quotes, because like my fun book right now is The Essential Gandhi. So I'm in reading it. I mean, it's one I'm not necessarily going to take specifically notes on. My my business book, I have a, again, a hardback notebook paper where I write out every note in the book. If the quote is not enough, good enough for me to actually handwrite it, it's not a good enough quote. I'm not going to use it again. If I could just type it in really quick, nah, that's not true. For some really long passages, I will type it in first. I'm just going to take like a whole page of my paper notebook, then I will type it in. But most times people highlight things so freely in their Kindle or whatever that, and then they never go back to it. So most of the business books I read, I actually write a review on my site. Some of them, like my deep work review is like 6,000 words or something like that on my site. So some of them get very lengthy. Some of them don't, but I also find that writing that review really helps me. Like, oh, is it the art of work? The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. So many people say it's amazing. I read the book and was like, eh, it's okay. It's not terrible. But what I, thinking about it longer term, it's because I've read so many other books in a similar vein. Maybe it was just saying the same things. Now, maybe he wrote his book first and everyone read it first and they say, oh, it's the best one. But that's not how it felt for me. But writing that review of it, I sat back and wrote the review and I said, oh, there's like 15 great things in here. This is awesome. Like there was some real good meat in here, even in the book that when I sat down and closed the book at the end, I was like, what is everyone talking about? Why is this so good? But there's still some really good takeaways in that book. Then usually when I finish a book, I go back and review a book that I've written a long review about as well, right? Because even though 6,000 words for deep work is a long thing to read, it's not 70,000 words, which or whatever, how long the book is, right? It sounds to me like the process of uh, writing the review is part of how you cement the knowledge in your own head. Absolutely. Even if you're not going to write a review, if you're going to read a book, I suggest you write the three things that you get out of it. What are the three takeaways from this for me? In fact, if you're going to start reading, if you like reading, the first book you need to read this year is a book called How to Read a Book. It is a meaty tome to read. It was written originally in the 50s, updated in the 70s. So you may notice all, all authors are he in that book and try to get past that. But the meat in there, even I said, recommended that to a friend of mine in college and he read, he's like, I only got through the first two chapters, but man, I got, he's like, I'm reading so many more books and I'm getting so much more out of them and I'm getting better marks for it. He has four essential questions, which are, 
what's the book about? What's it structured is basically I'm summarizing them. Is it true in whole or in part? So what parts of this, you know, are actually true? And the last question is the killers. What does it matter? Basically, what of it? Am I going to do anything with this information? Because if you don't do anything with the information, it's not very useful. That's a great book. And I run, that's what I do in my notebook. I write down those four questions every time. And then as I start typing them in to my document later, I write those four questions across the top and answer them in summary. And then I start writing the big review. And then you share it, which is one of the most important things. You're putting it out there for an audience to, to get feedback and get that back and forth going. Absolutely. And even, like, I read really quickly. I know people, not everybody does. And I devote lots of time to reading because I don't really watch TV uh, at all. And letting you pick through some of the best books or pick like, you know, say deep work. Okay, well, I, you know, I already shut off my email and I don't really, I get in the zone of focus really good. So maybe this isn't the best book for me and I'd go read something else instead is useful. And like I said, it helps me so immensely in getting things out of the books and connecting disparate ideas from different books. Because I don't think I would be able to tell you right off the top of my head that Mastery and The Art of Work by Jeff Goins and all these other books are all talking about the same thing, your purpose, right? Your why. Those are all, they're all the same topic. They're all revolving around the same thing. But if I didn't take time to really normalize that language and talk about it and review it and compare disparate ideas, then, then I wouldn't be as good at what I do, even in just communication with people. So I'm curious what you've integrated into your work, say, in the past year from the things that you've read. The biggest thing that I did was really start standardizing my work and deep work. That's the biggest wholesale change. I had done that a bit, and then I had got away. Let, just let myself get away from it, which happens lots of the time, right? You say, I'm not going to use my phone, and then you keep pulling the phone out of the pocket. Or you use it twice, and then you keep doing it more. So you start drifting back towards, I guess, normal. Um, that's the biggest wholesale change I made as I standardized my week again because I'd left myself get off of it. And that was after reading deep work and realizing that I was stressed out and there was a really good cause for it. And I just, this is what I want to do. And I sat down and designed my ideal week, spent an, after, an entire afternoon on a Friday going over my schedule and just like blocking out one week on my calendar and what would it look like. That introspection is very important part. And when you look at the, the business you've built for yourself now, how does it compare to what you thought you might be doing at this point in your life? Well, when I finished college, I didn't think I'd want to be coaching people or counseling people, I guess I would have called it then. But when I get energized with despite me saying earlier like getting out like in a big crowd of people finds feels so exhausting to go do that this conversation right here i feel energizing that's how i feel after coaching calls too when i get to talk to people and help right last friday a lady was my coaching client said i'd like to talk about we have to fire this fourth employee in you know in four months or something like that and i'm super stressed about it and i don't even know how to approach it and i'm worried it's going to affect team cohesion we spent an entire hour just basically spitballing what she could say and how she could approach it and partially also convincing her that no you do need to you do need to let her go this other employee and she said you know what i feel i don't even feel stressed now i feel so we got this under control i need to have a meeting with the ceo we need to get on the same page about it but i know what i need to say and we just need to come up with that and i think this will be great thanks for your help and i finished that and i think you know that was a win for the day I'm helping someone. My why is I look above my monitor right now. My why is I help people run the business they want so they can live the life they want to live. And I'm helping her run the business she wants so that she can live that life she wants to live. How do you see your business growing in the next year or two? I would like to purchase myself some more time freedom and so have less need to do development work, move more towards coaching. Yeah, so I can pick one project a year or one or two projects a year for web clients that I really believe in. And I actually have one long-term client that I... That financially probably doesn't pay off, but I like I like what they do. They help people have awesome marriages, and I think that that is an important, very important thing. So I work for them at a highly reduced rate, and that's good. So I'll definitely have them around. And, you know, some other things that are like that, maybe. Some of my awesome clients, I just say I built a homeschooling site recently, and that, like, it was super fun. We talked about 
like I'd spend 50% of my client call on Tuesdays just laughing about the ridiculous things our kids did. And then I'd, and we'd talk about, you know, the real meat of the project as well. And we both had a great time. That's nice. So it sounds like you really do enjoy the hands-on work that you're doing in addition to the coaching work that you're doing. Yeah, I do. It's fun. I think the hardest part with development is that it doesn't give you a lot of time freedom, right? You got to put in, even if you're not doing hourly, if you're doing flat rate project, you've got to put in the time every day to keep that going. You can't decide, you know, I, in theory coaching, I could decide I'm going to go skiing three days in a week and do coaching two days a week. And that would be fine for a couple of weeks because I'd be still coaching on those two days. My marketing would suffer. I'd be getting behind on some of my writing. Yes. But purchasing that time freedom feels very valuable to me. That's interesting. Do you have any, uh, any particular process you go through with your writing is the, you know, longhand writing on paper, obviously is not the way that you're doing your blog posts. Not most of the time, although sometimes I'll be sitting around at the table, kitchen table, and I keep a field notes expedition pocket notebook in my back pocket because I also like to write notes when I'm out on trips and so I just need waterproof paper and I just have one notebook then. Uh, and I'll write down the idea in the middle of dinner. I'll pull it out and start writing down the title and I'll write down like sketch out four or five points in a paragraph that I want to say. And sometimes it'll end up being two, two little pages, right? It's a pocket notebook, so it's little. And then I'll do that. When I'm writing a book, when I'm reading a book and like pulling a quote out, I will often... I have a little shorthand as a you know a checkbox and make a little square and then WR means write and I'll give myself an approximate title and I'll put like five or six points in there that I want to do. And then if I say I want to put that in an email as well, I'll just, you know, do an up arrow, do another checkbox and email E for email and put an up arrow to say I want to email this as well. And sometimes I'll even pull out my book and because I want to email that next week and I'll transfer that like page two twenty seven in your in the notebook, get that quote and email it. So how can my listeners find out more about you and get in touch? You can go to my site, which is curtismchale.ca. Uh, and right there, you can jump on the email list. That'd probably be the best way to find out anything that I'm putting out. And I will email you daily starting in a couple, starting next week, I'll start emailing you daily little tidbits and quotes from uh, books I'm reading or other thoughts on running a good consultancy. Wow. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for having me on. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit hacktheprocess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening. <laughs>